Hello, and welcome to the Tennis with an Accent podcast, where we talk about tennis by connecting the present of the sport with its storied past. Be it the nuanced unpacking of the individual stories, long-form interviews, or the detailed tour-level analysis, we have you covered. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tennis with an Accent. This is your host, Sakib, and today is going to be a rare conversation where we have an active WTA player uh, who's made splash at a recent Grand Slam joining the podcast and really humbled and honored to be speaking with Wimbledon sensation Natalia Stevanovic of Serbia, who made big waves at Wimbledon a few weeks ago by taking out former finalist Pliskova, ended up eventually losing to Petra Kvitova, came through the qualifying. Uh, a lot of us would argue it's one of the biggest, if not the biggest story of week one at one Wimbledon. Edmund. So on that note, let me welcome my guest. Natalia, how are you? Hi, how are you? Thank you for such a nice uh, welcoming <laughs> speech. No, your work speaks for itself. A lot of us who do this kind of a podcast, I have a day job, but I take my tennis very seriously as far as a fan. So mm-hmm. a lot of us know what goes on on the ITF and the Challenger Tours, how hard it is to play even a Grand Slam. So let's start your story. I mean, a lot of listeners know you as uh, with your maiden name. Natalia Kostic, but also some of us know you now use your married name. So let's talk mm-hmm. about this. If if a if a listener was following you during Wimbledon, and uh, Kostic appeared on some draws and some yes. in some places, you said they had your married name. So what's the disconnect here? You know, have you have you not told them that what name to use? How does that thing work? <laughs> Um, I don't know. Everything was uh, it, it was confusing, you know. Since I I've changed my um, since I got married and then changed the maiden name, everything went like quickly for with a change. But on some of ITFs, it still stayed as Kostic. So as the ITF is uh, responsible for Grand Slams, so I guess they, there may be some connection. But on Wimbledon, it was already last year uh, that it was written Kostic. And then we were trying to um, change it. I would say my husband tried it more. <laughs> but uh, it was already all, always next to his name uh, as a coach. It was written coach of Natalia Kostic, not Stevanovic. And many times they just didn't let him to enter because they say there is no Kostic in the draw. <laughs> And then he's like, it's your mistake. Uh, but anyways, uh, they changed it on the credential. But as I see, some of them, I still made the name is uh, looking way through <laughs> to to be alive as well. No, so it's a good story. And uh, you definitely left your mark on the on the game and you came through the qualifying. Uh, how, has your, yeah. how has your life changed after reaching the third round Wimbledon? Serbia has a pretty good tennis tradition now with you know a lot of good players coming out of course Djokovic is there and then you've had Grand Slam winners as well on the women's mm-hmm. side so how has uh, you know your life changed are you noticed more I know you probably are doing a ton of interviews so talk about the life yeah. after Wimbledon well, yes, I mean, actually, thank you, because you were the one asking for the po- doing this podcast even uh, before Wimbledon. So I'm very grateful that you got me even uh, before Wimbledon, before all of this happened, because uh, many things uh, in people's eyes, I think, changed a little bit. They started to see some uh, new Natalia who can do it and who can go through it, you know, not like 
maybe she can you know uh, actually it was a very long way you know and uh, it's a long process and we really kept believing since uh, since ever i would say wimbledon is something that every every player is dreaming about um especially uh when you have a good game for grass and when the grass is my favorite uh, one of the favorite surfaces so um actually favorite um so uh, after Wimbledon everything went crazy um so um many interviews many media podcasts like this and yeah I cannot say I didn't enjoy it and then I'm not enjoying it but I just said that I think it's a little bit enough with it I know it's also part of the job to do but I'm one of those who really wants to focus on, on more on tennis, you know, because like it's been the first time something like this big happened. But now for the next time, uh, we know how to uh, take it more easier, I would say. Um, but anyways, the, the people, they were so nice, like coming home or on the airport, landing people like cheering, giving me high fives, which something before never happened. But they said that I've been their refreshment. So um, it's a nice thing to hear that I've been a tennis refreshment in such a tennis nation here. No, that's incredible. That's lovely to hear because, look, the relationship, we are all, I mean, I always say it's a three-way business, right? There's like the players, the organizations, and then the media, and then there are fans. So everybody's involved. So I think, yeah, you finally have your moment. Hopefully you create more big results. So yes. Uh, before I get into your biography, which is my normal question in my podcast, but I'll stick with current events. So yeah. you had a good match with Azarenka. You had a couple of set points. Uh, so you think that yeah. was the changing point for that uh, amazing run at Wimbledon where you won five matches to win the main draw? Did that match serve some sort of a belief to you that if you can um, do Victoria well, Azarenka? Can you, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, actually, um, yes, we can say so. We had uh, very good matches, always playing first or second seeded on some tournaments. Um, so uh, I was, some of them would say, oh, again, first or second seeded, you know, but actually we were very happy about it because we said this year is the year that if you want to reach the top level, you have to fight the top level. Even in the start, you're losing. There will be the time when you will start winning, you know, and then I wouldn't feel any pressure or I don't know that I have to do something or I have to like, in, like uh, not improve, but how was the word to, um, to step out, you know, I was like, the time will come, like it came, you know, and with the Zarenka was really joyful match. Um, it was a long fight. Yes, I had a few set points. And I must say from that match, the thing I learned is not to take challenge on her second serve of the opponent and my set point. Because <laughs> it was a thing with the set point. She had such a slow second serve. And it was like, I was so sure the ball was going out and it was out. I was sure it was out, but then I asked for the challenge and it was like slightly one millimeter ball in caught. So I lost the point, obviously. And then afterwards, things changed. So um, those were, that was a big lesson for me. But anyways, the the the, the match was really joyful. And um, the nicest thing from Azarenka was now in Wimbledon, 
uh, after the second round match, she approached me and she was like, oh, kiddo. She was like, kiddo, <laughs> you were so great. You were so great. Um, I'm, I'm very proud of you. And I was like, you started it. So yeah, she started it in some way, you know, it, it gave me some push up, even though um, I lost the match. So uh, it was it was nice to hear from all uh, big names and big players, uh, nice um, um, nice advices, nice talk. So um, yeah, it changed and it's it's going well. <laughs> yeah, that's just incredible. So how was how tough was to deal with the rain in week one? Uh, and Grand Slam is different anyway. You play every other day. So how did you manage once you beat Pliskova? How was that experience? Uh, you know, being behind schedule. Uh, how did you, you the, manage the first week? Uh, well, actually, um, actually, the, there is a nice story, uh, <laughs> a behind-the-scenes story about uh, the match and everything. Uh, usually, we never followed uh, any draw online, but on Wimbledon, like somehow we we really wanted to follow because they make it really nicely and it's like exciting, you know first time so we said like let's just one time we will follow it and we see where it goes and then we were just we missed a few minutes and then we we're like hopefully we didn't pass you know and there was like one name second name third name and then it goes Pliskova will play and my coach and husband Nicola he was like us 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 <laughs> then my name pumped up really <laughs> I'm like okay is that my name? Is that me? And he was like, hell yeah. <laughs> I was like, is that good? <laughs> he said, that's awesome. <laughs> and then he basically immediately like waited for two, like two, three rounds to go, like to see our quarter. And he's like, I'm not stopping this. And we are starting to make tactics. Like he said, like, I was waiting for this moment. It's a super great draw. I was like, well, you know, yes, it is. You know, I was just going with the flow, you know, <laughs> And, um, and yeah, actually, um, he was in like, that was the first thing, you know, when you say like, yeah, I got this as the first thing, first thought, which is very good thing for any athlete. It's not like, ah, Pliskova, you know, it was not the first thought because sometimes that first thought is always staying you somewhere in your mind, um, that you, after in the match, you know, somehow you have some flashbacks, you know, other other and um, high intensity and everything so um we from the start we started very positively with that and uh, and yeah we started to make the the, the tactics immediately so uh, it was going as you saw it was going pretty well no it's very interesting because i read that uh, comment you said you know with your husband saying you know we want our name next to plishkova and i also read that i think either you or him said even though Pliskova is a higher rank, their tennis is about matchups. Some, Some matchups matchup. are better, and they could be a lower rank player where your matchup may not be uh, well suited. So, what was about the Pliskova matchup? You thought you guys, of course, you won the match, but why were you so excited about that matchup? Well, firstly, because if you want to enter the big door, we've been only saying you need to go with a bigger name, you know, and uh, you have to break the ice. And especially if that player suits you for this kind of surface. Suits me in the way that I'm playing, as you all saw, lots of slices, which doesn't give her any rhythm. So um, and she's the kind of player who wants just like flat rhythm. And when she gets into that rhythm, she's very dangerous. 
So basically that was the first thing not to give her any rhythm to try to um, break her with some uh, easy efforts for her on her mind so she can get very stiff as she did. The only thing was that I didn't hope that she will start from the first slice to miss. You know, we've been talking that in the start, she may start with good good shots, but my slice game takes effect after, let's say, sometimes a set, sometimes in the middle of the second set with, uh, with Kvitova, if there was no that uh, rain delay. But anyways, I've been very... Um, I've been very calm. I don't know. Somehow I believed in that win. You know, everything was, everything was like some other player is across the across me. So I'm just playing my game, and if it works, it's a great boom. If not, I shake hands and we move forward. Um, so um, it was very nice feeling actually, also to play on that court 18. Um, it was fully crowded. Um, actually, people were also cheering for me, uh, which is very good thing, you know, obviously, because she played a final 2021. She's from world number one. Um, so um, I was, uh, even though in the second set, I missed uh, two or three match points on her serve, I was still keeping calm with my serve to end the match because it's a grass. You never know. Everything can change so quickly in a good or bad way. So, um, yeah, it was it was nice thing. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, this is, again, a common question. A lot of people ask a lot of players. How does a grass at Wimbledon play different? Does it play different to the qualifying tournament grass? Um, yes and yes. I mean, every grass court, it's kind of like... A, cannot be same same you know even at the side some courts are some of courts are more played on so in the back you're running easier or not the grasses i think cut it a little uh, more so it's like um i would say that the, the bounce is a little bit lower and maybe in some point a little bit slower than at Rockhampton. but but as from this year, they've really improved at Rockhampton. So it was uh, much better than the previous years. And uh, they added some new courts. And actually now even Rockhampton, where the qualies are playing, the site looks very, very nice, much nicer. Um, so it's a very big plus for, for Wimbledon as they somehow always are asking you, are you a qualifier or a player? <laughs> you know, like. You're playing Wimbledon. Doesn't matter if you're in Qualies or Manger, you know. Still, it's Wimbledon. But anyways, in uh, uh, in uh, UK, it's like that. Uh, but then when you get to qualify, you know, you you feel it more. You feel it more than in the other Grand Slams. That's the thing. But only when you qualify. Then when you lose, like I lost last year, you know, you feel also bigger disappointment. Uh, so uh, this year it was much better. Um, I don't know. In somehow I remember court seventeen at Rockhampton as the best court I played at all Wimbledon, <laughs> even with the main side, if I can say so. I don't know. The court was brand new. They only let few matches playing on that court, and luckily mine was one of those when I beat second round Mandlik. 
in qualis and i can remember the feeling that i loved that court because it was so nice and smooth to run everything was like so soft but stable i felt so stable ball was going just as low as i wanted slice was working perfectly so <laughs> no better nice. thing for me but absolutely in the main, so one more question. main site I is the main site yeah absolutely yeah i i wish i can i mean I, my goal is to attend wimbledon one day as a as a fan and just you know absorb the uh the competition and the environment so one more question on wimbledon so when you move to the main draw Uh, are there different locker rooms for like top players or, or like the main draw players or how does that work uh, is... yes yes uh, obviously as everything in a, in a, in a, in in uk we say it goes with a with a privilege with the royalty and everything so it's like that in tennis and any other sport um so they have a top 8 um top 8 um dressing rooms and dressing rooms for seeded players and the rest of the players but anyways i find all players using all the lockers so no one is like just extremely going into the top eight or uh, seeded lockers you know everyone are everywhere so it is is very nice so in that way there is there is only the state but the lockers everywhere i didn't find i i, I got a chance to see So I didn't find such a big um, difference. But anyways, you have more peace, of course, if you're in top eight or in the seated um, dressing rooms. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, I was looking at your chart. I think you turned professional in 2013 or 2014. Is that correct? If you say so. It was a long time ago. <laughs> so, yes. so, again, you know, like I, t I speak to Mert and, you know, he's been coaching on tour and it's a very, very hard life because everybody's working hard and it's a matter of like points here and there. You can make a main draw. So w why do you think it worked this year? Did you change your game? Did you re reinvent your game? Uh, you've been knocking this door like many players. Why do you think the door opened this time? Is your game the same that it used to be always? Well, um, if you work hard, obviously, after a while, you, you will improve moving, even if you don't see it you know and it's just the moment when um i always prove and there is something you need to work on it's a good thing because there is space for improvement you know mm, some players they how much on forehand or backhand or some aspect of game and then you kind of feel that that's that's it like you're doing so much but there is no such an improvement you know or either you have to change something in total or you just have to work harder you know in our way we we this slice game we started to work like already eight years ago so um every year i won't i cannot say my slice forehand slice especially was like this eight years ago no it improved much a lot you know from the last year as well so for this year the 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 thing that i improved the most i would say is the attacking attacking point after my slice to finish the point like last year i was going with lots of slices but sometimes when i got a ball to attack and finish the point i would still maybe play another slice and there was more chance to lose the point in 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 case in 
instead of um, winning the point, you know. I was not going approaching that much on the net like I did this year. So I would say I, I, I felt uh, more comfortable in that aspect using the ball after the slice and going to the net. Of course, in terms of my serve, we worked really hard on the slice serve, which was, again, very good thing for Wimbledon. Um, so anyways, uh, even on some good hard courts, fast hard courts, this game works also very well as the ball is sliding. Um, so, um, yeah, definitely we've been working so much on improving in that aspect. And yeah, I mean, for the next year, we have something more on our mind to work on and do. So let's see how it goes. Yeah, I wish you all the best. And this is a great detail uh, you share with the listeners. So now let's... Uh bring your husband and he's also a coach so Mert you know speaks very you know highly about both of you (laughs) so how big of an influence has he been on your tennis Nicola yes so uh, I was talking about Martin for a while on on tour with him so always it was very pleasant to um to talk, sit and talk to him. It's He's very calm and you can always have a nice talk and good jokes with him which is very relaxing because being on tour is very hard uh, because you don't gain that many friends. So um, he's been talking very good and nicely with with Nicola. They've been sharing the uh, thoughts, and Nicola is my husband, influenced as well as my coach. It's I would say it's a huge thing because um, he he came from uh, professionally being water polo player. Uh, he came into tennis eight years ago. So um, after I had my liver surgery, I was really in lack of money and everything, but still with big wheel to play, you know. So somehow I I, I got him to come on to tournaments with me um, just as a vacation mode for him as off season. And then suddenly I, I won both tournaments, you know. <laughs> He's been sharing me good positive vibes, you know. I mean, he used to be a professional athlete. So that's the most important thing when you have a professional professionalism in yourself you know then he's been always he knows how he knows to play tennis as well even before he's been following and being in a relationship with me yes he was following but he didn't imagine himself to somehow because we were also in a lack of um, money in the start so there was for sure no possibility to to pay some coach or anything so the only thing was to go and learn and do our best, you know. So step by step, uh, how I was improving, he was improving. So we were pushing each other uh, for better. I had, he had patience with me. I had patience with him. And uh, then we came to the point that we maybe wanted to add a new, like a coach or someone in the team. But first it was too expensive. And secondly, we said like, until we're doing well, until we're having the small goals and we're improving. So we're not stagnating, I think is the word. Like if we are not in like in one point for a longer than a year, then we'll go for some change. But if we are making our goals, uh, then this thing, what we are doing, it makes sense, you know. So um Year like day by day, month by month, by month, and now year by year, we both improved and we came to that that we understand each other well and we know what we are working on. Um, of course, 
we can have some advices with other coaches, you know, but as smaller um, circle it is too much from other people from the side, it's also not a good thing because it loses your focus and your path, you know. People come and go, but the ones who are staying with you, the dead people, they matter, you know. So, yeah. Absolutely. No, I mean, support system is really good and it's good that, you know, common goals and you guys are making a great team on and off the court. I, I want to also explore something that you mentioned earlier about your liver surgery, because surgeries are not yes. easy. I read it was a tough time and I can only imagine. So during a time like this, when you have doubts, like every athlete has doubt, will you be able to come back? How important it is like mental resolve and toughness to go through that kind of a period? So talk about that, because that happened right before COVID, right? Uh, no, no, no. That happened. That happened before the COVID. Actually, when was COVID? I got nasty chicken pox. I got the pneumonia of both lungs, and I was very hospitalized, and it was very, very bad um, to get uh, chicken pox in that <laughs> old age. Um, but the thing that uh, when surgery happened was in 2015 was my liver surgery. Um, so. Uh, it was very hard. I really thought I would never um, come back because half of my stomach is in a big scar. They had to cut my abs. They had to cut basically everything so they can reach to the liver and take piece of liver where that uh, parasite was in the cyst. So uh, fortunately, everything happened well. The liver has regenerated. So in that aspect, everything is good. My abs didn't get to 100%. They are about 92 3%, as the doctor says. But also they say that's 100% good to uh, continue professionally uh, with, uh, with the sport. Uh, so uh, now, even now, I have troubles with the scar tissue. And uh, when the weather is changing or when we're traveling so much, I have big pain in my scar and in one part of my back. Uh, so it's a, it's a thing that I'm dealing every day, but uh, I never started doubting if I can come back. I think uh, my coming back was just uh, pure love. And I would say pure luck that um, Nicola could do that together with me because my turn was I'm not going on tour alone. So if I go with someone who I love and if I go with someone who can help me, you know, so I'm not wasting that person's life and time. <laughs> so um, I will go for it, you know. So that was, I think, just the pure love and will, which happened to be uh, the most important thing. No, it's a, it's a great story and a great formula. Love, luck, you know, and your coach, your husband. I wish you all the best. Yeah, that's a, that's a great story. So usually, which is my first question now, this is like one of my last questions. How did tennis become a part of your life as a as a young girl? When did you fall in love with tennis? Who were your heroes? Was it something your parents introduced you to? Yeah. Uh, talk about well, that. Yeah, well, that's a, always a nice thing to remember the roots of of my tennis and uh, my my love to the sport. I was very fortunate that my whole tennis family, it's uh, my my family is in in tennis. Especially my grandfather was one of the first guys in uh, our hometown who was um, opening and maintaining the tennis courts in a niche uh, in Serbia city where I live. Uh, then my dad used to be uh, 
also professional, uh, the number one in ex-Yugoslavia. He stopped, let's say, when he was 19 or 20. He decided to, of course, in that time was... Uh, 60 years ago was a different time. Um, but anyways, um, he kept playing in Germany. So when he came back from Germany, let's say, yeah, 30 years ago, he decided to open a tennis club uh, in our city. So basically when I was, so since the start, my first toy was a tennis racket. I have also two older sisters who used to play tennis, not professionally, but one of them, the oldest, she's coaching in our tennis club now. The second one used to coach, but she decided to become a German teacher, German language teacher. So me as a third one, you know, they always say the third kid is the toughest, is pushing too much, <laughs> asking for too much. Uh, so I, I, I became a professional, but that love and uh, spending that much time in our tennis club uh, and the childhood I had was, uh, I can say, uh, very, very happy and very healthy because I was all the time outside playing with the kids, going from group to group, uh, practicing all day long. The only thing I didn't like was picking up the balls but then after because every kid like every time when they have to pick up the balls I used to go to another group and hit with them and then when they pick up the balls I come back with the old group <laughs> so uh, so sometime that was a thing that was going good but then they stopped me doing that because they said if you want to become a professional you need to pick up your own balls so, so it was a, a nice thing. Like it really reminds me and laughs me well when I remember now that time. So yeah, we're still having that tennis club. My dad used to coach me from my 10 to, let's say, 17, 18 years old. Then I started to travel alone because of the financial uh, problems. And then well, with 2021, I had the liver surgery. And after, you know, I started to travel uh, with Nicola. So basically, um, being in a tennis family helped me a lot because otherwise I wouldn't start in tennis as it's very expensive sport. And with no sponsor, especially coming from a small Serbia, it was a kind of mission impossible. Yeah, mission impossible. Yeah, you made it possible. So how's the Serbian yeah. Federation's role? Because the more I talk to players and coaches from different parts of the world, Federation plays a huge, huge role in paving a path for promising juniors. But with, with Djokovic, Ivanovic, Jankovic, so much talent coming out of Serbia, how has the roadmap and the situation improved for young tennis players how does the federation how important a role does the federation play i'm always very sorry to say that the federation doesn't get any any big part in that because when you say djokovic his dad pushed everything so he can become what he became that's why sometimes he's envy uh, to a serbian federation he's that novak tennis federation but still it doesn't go the way he wants at the moment, because he's still playing, and really, if he wants to focus to be would say from America since young age, he was with RMG. So again, not real project from Serbia. Uh, also, uh, Ivanovic. Again, she started poorly in Serbia, but then again with uh, sponsors from outside. 
she became a player. So me, again, I was playing tennis and then with him, I, I, I started and I played and because I didn't have any expenses for the coach and I don't know. Then I got my husband, my boyfriend, my husband as a coach. So again, no ex- too much expenses for me. And again, looking f- looking for money from the outside. So I I, I cannot say that um, our federation is doing a lot uh, in this moment with this many good players, uh, with uh, Krenovic, with Lajovic, with Vigere. Because from all of them, they all started with a family going then afterwards with the funds from outside of the country and then being what they are now. So I cannot say that federation has and doesn't have courts. So that's the thing, the saddest thing, and everyone is like complaining about it. But I'm saying this not just to say bad about the tennis federation. I'm just saying it uh, that. So they can wake up, you know, because there are so many good talents, young who can, who are hungry. You know, the thing for Serbians is any sports, which is the most important in athletes world. So we just need that small push. You know, it's not always good to have everything because there is no that hunger then because you have everything. But just like to have it in balance, to have it sufficient, you know. So you cannot like in the start, Nicole and me, we've been really trying to say, Nicole was saying, oh my God, a little bit more money, uh, um, tournament schedule, I would for travel, much easier for yourself and for your body, you know, so we could improve, improve even faster, but that was unfortunately not possible. So then you have p- players who just then, when they see that many, many, many problems on the way, they too much, I'm giving up and that's it, you know. So many of careers like that in Serbia ended just because of not being able to have uh, regular things like courts and where to practice, which is something for any other country so normal. But for Serbia, unfortunately, I cannot say that still it is we are improving but not as how good players we have very sad to hear but you know it's good information because you are part of the system you know how the system works so my only parting comment or question is because i'm from india now i live in the u.s so in india tennis is not doing well because the federation is not taking care and the other uh drawback is we don't have good singles players come out so it's I don't know, it's a chicken or egg problem. Is the federation not good or are the players not there? But in Serbia's case, with Djokovic and Ivanovic, these are world-class players. If their success didn't change the system, what would change the system? Because Djokovic is, you know, the face of tennis. So if his rise, okay, his dad helped him and, you know, the sponsors came and his talent was, you know, one of a lifetime talent, but he should still become a good example for the federation to pour more money in tennis. Uh, that's very sad to hear because with these good success stories, the Federation still not picking up, uh, picking up the I expenses think, or I resources. A, I think it's it, there is need for a big change that people who are already for, let's say, less 20 years in Federation, they're still there. So the problem is that 
someone like Novak, when he stops with his career, I'm sure that he will really take over that. It's very hard to be active athlete and really be worried about the tennis federation. It's mission impossible because you have to be as a main main guy. You have to be there and you have to give many, many, I would say, um, uh, many um, the when you fire many fire fire you have to fire a few people you know who are there mm. for 20 years and to fire them because nothing is changing you know so it's like you're not firing people because they're not like they're not good you're firing them because they didn't make something good they didn't continue with the good work like you don't see improvement then you fire people because they're not good for the system for the for the players you know but there are not so many voices that can be heard, you know, so that can be done. But I'm sure when Novak stops, that he can be the one who can make that big change, you know. And it's, again, very long process, like 20 years, 30 years, something is going, I would say, half wrong way, you know. Then also it takes so much energy and time to come on a good path, best thing. Hi, this is great information, great food for thought for anyone who listens to this podcast. I know it's late Sunday evening there in Serbia. Go enjoy the rest of your evening. I'm sure you have practice tomorrow. Thank you, Natalia. Yeah. It was very enjoyable listening to you. And hopefully we can bring you back on the podcast sometime soon. All the best yes, for the hardcore season. Yes, thank you very much. It was a very big pleasure to talk with you and wish you all the best.